Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. As we're kind of getting our um, object lesson brought out, um, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. That's going to give you some time to, time to find your spot in Hebrews chapter 9. Um, as we kind of get our uh, object lesson set up here. So, Daniel has a question. Do what? No, you can't lay in it. Um, you can't lay in it. The guy in here doesn't want company. No. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, before, <laughs> I'm going to address the, not elephant in the room, but the casket in the room here in a second. Um, so we're starting a new series called Alive. And I thought what better way to start in a series called Alive than to bring in something that represents the antithesis or the opposite of being alive. Um, so let's start by asking, why the casket? Um, first off, you know, I've got some really cool friends at Henson and Kitchen Mortuary that are just really cool and they, they offered it to me. So I was like, why would we not take a casket? Um, <laughs> Um, so, um, but why the casket? Because as we're getting into the series on being alive, we're going to talk about something that nobody likes to talk about. We're going to talk about the subject of death. Nobody, I'll get your question in a minute, okay? But nobody likes to talk about death, but I've learned something. This is year number eight for me here, which is just crazy to think about. Like, um, I started in 2011, and I've learned some things along the way. And one of the things I've learned is Probably the hardest thing, this is just from my experience, the hardest thing to talk to teenagers about when we're talking about explaining things from the Bible is the idea of death. And I have a couple you know, assumptions or I have a couple theories on why that is, why it's so hard to talk to you guys about death. I think the first thing is you guys think death is for old people. And for the most part, it is, right? I mean, death is for, you know, yeah, death is for people who are older. And, you know, you, the, the plan is, you know, you, you live 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and then, and then you pass away. But um, death isn't just for old people. Um, teenagers get this idea. Um, you get, I, I had this idea. Sometimes I still feel like I have this idea because you think I'm old. Um, I'm 33 years old. Uh, you think I'm old, but I still like to think that I'm pretty young. Um, and I still like to think that I have a lot of life left. Um, but it seems to be hard. So why the casket? Um, it's, it's to remind us, um, remind us about a subject that we don't like to talk about. And I will do whatever it takes to help you, under, help you understand this and help, help this to click in your mind. Because this is something that's very important to talk about. So as we talk about being alive, um, we have to begin at a starting point. And that starting point is here. Now when, I, when Dakota and, uh, and John wheeled this casket down the aisle... How many of y'all noticed it before, like, at the beginning? Okay, so now, yeah, I put it in the corner. I was hoping not many people would notice it. Um, so as, you, as, as it was wheeled down, you probably had one of two or maybe three reactions. And the first reaction was, I wonder if Matt's got, like, a body in there. Like, and he's strategically planned that halfway through his lesson, all of a sudden somebody's going to pop out of the casket and scare everybody. And I can assure you, there is no, this, is, this, is, this, co this is a, coffin has never been used. Um, so um, there's nobody in there. And I actually, the, I had the guys when they, when they dropped it off. Question? Well, here's what I, I had the guys as they dropped it off. Um, there are, well, I think it's on this side. Um, on this side, there are locks and I had them lock it. 
and take the key with them. Primarily because I knew one of y'all would try to get in here and you'd break the casket and I'd have to pay like $4,000 to replace this casket and I don't have that kind of money. Um, So I can't prove it, but it's closed and nobody's gonna be popping out. The second is more serious though and this is kind of like, you know, what I've been working in this room all day Can I I just tell you, it's just been kind of weird working in this room all day. Um, But the thing that came to my mind was it made me think about a couple years ago. It was actually when I started being a youth pastor when um, my granddad passed away. And it reminded me of what a difficult time that was for me. Um, There's something about a funeral, for those of you who have been to a funeral, that just seems so final. When the preacher gives his sermon of comfort, and he finishes, and the last song is played or sung. It just, this finality just hits you, and you think, this is, at least this is the way I felt at the time, this is the end. And that's really difficult. I think one of the reasons that we don't like to think about this, and we don't like to talk about this, and we talked about this in our tag group, yeah, why is it so uncomfortable to talk about the idea of death? Is because none of us want to think about the fact that our lives come with expiration dates, and it seems so final. But tonight, tonight what we're going to learn from God's Word in Hebrews chapter 9 is that the funeral is not final. And that's kind of like the big thing. If you don't get anything else, I hope you get this. That the fu- I'll get you in a second, okay? That the funeral is not final. Uh, so I hope that if you are someone who, when you saw this, you were like me and you thought of somebody that you loved, I hope that this lesson tonight brings you comfort. This isn't meant to make you go through all the stages of grief that you're battling through, but this is meant to give you comfort and give you hope. If you're kind of on the opposite end and you, you've got that invincible thing going on, you think, hey, nothing can take me down, I hope this brings you a challenge and gets you thinking. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9 tonight. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. You need something? That's in the New Testament. Um, Blake, can you, can you give him a hand there? And Blake's really good at finding that stuff. I figure Blake would be the man for the job. But if you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Um, it's going to be a smaller portion of Scripture this week. Like past few weeks, we've been going through some big portions of Scripture. This is a small portion of Scripture. And we're going to start in verse 24. If you don't have your Bible, we got the words on the screen. By the way, we're going to keep our Bible table up back here. So if anybody ever needs a Bible, you forget your Bible, you don't have a Bible, just grab one um, for for, for the evening. But um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, we're starting there. It's talking about Jesus. And it said, Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way a high priest um, enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with, sorry, I got so much highlighted here, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Let's just pray, and then we'll dig in. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll speak to us tonight. This is a difficult thing to talk about. It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. But God, this is in your word. You want us to hear this, and you want us to apply this. So I pray that you'll give us ears to hear, uh, you'll give us eyes to see, 
and that you'll give us will to apply this and to live this out in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're, as we're looking at this passage, we're going to center in on verse 27 and, for, and, and, and verse 28. And it says, just as people were destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Now, this passage here that talks about how we are destined to die once, it's, I used the word on Instagram and got made fun of, it's nestled, is that a weird word? It's, it's put right in the middle, this very difficult phrase, I think God did this for a reason, it's put in the middle of this long passage that talks about how Jesus has, gave us victory over death, and Jesus brought death to death when he died on the cross. And the whole theme of Hebrews, is, which is the book that we're in, is the idea that Jesus is better. Um, anybody know who the book of Hebrews was written to? It was written to Hebrews. Hebrews isn't just the name of Christian, of Christian coffee shop. Um, Hebrews is the name of this book, and it was addressed to people who were Jewish. And they grew up in this Jewish mindset, thinking that the way that they could pay for their sin was that once a year, their high priest would go into a tabernacle and would sacrifice an animal. And this is kind of graphic, but this is the way it worked back then, that this high priest would, 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 would scatter the blood of that animal on an area in the most holy place of the temple or the tabernacle that was called the mercy seat. And that when that happened, that, they believed that blood that was applied would atone or take care of the sins of their nation for a year and that their nation would be right with God. Then these people met Jesus and they put their faith in Jesus, but something happened after they put their faith in Jesus. They started kind of going back to their old ways and kind of going back to what was familiar. You know how sometimes if you go to camp, mission trip, serve in VBS, you have this spiritual high, then you go back to school and you kind of start getting back into your, your old ways. That was what was happening to the Hebrews. And they got back into their old ways of thinking, well, we better go sacrifice at the temple. We better go kill some animals. We better go, you know, you go, go give our, our offering to the high priest so he can atone for our sins. And this letter was, this book was originally a letter to these Hebrew people saying, hey, you don't have to do that because Jesus is better than your old way of life. And just real quick, if, you, if, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to, you're, you're definitely going to know this. As you look through this passage, it talks about how Jesus is better in verse 15. It talks about how Jesus is better than the law. We talked about that two weeks ago when Jesus said, I didn't come to, um, I didn't come to demolish the law. I came to fulfill the law, right? They had a law that they had to live by. But in verse 15, it talks about how Jesus established a new covenant with anyone who believes. So Jesus, as the better sacrifice, he's better than the law. Um, and he gave a sacrifice in a better sanctuary. In, in verse 24, it talks about how this, you know, the, the Jewish temple or tabernacle was just like a copy. It was a knockoff of the real temple in heaven. You know, when I, I took the um, Grace Christian School eighth grade trip to, um, to, to Washington, D.C., I had a friend named Bruce, and he bought a pair of Oakleys for $20, and he thought they were real. You know, the guys on the street selling real $20 Oakleys, they're not real. Like, they broke in like five minutes, and he was so upset, and he wanted his money back. And the guy's like, you're not getting your money back, you know. But you, just like they were fake knockoff Oakleys, this was, in, in verse 24, it says that that temple that they sacrificed, those animals, was a copy of the true temple, which was in the presence of God in heaven. And just like Jesus, or just like the high priest would go into that temple to offer a sacrifice, that was a copy, that was a knockoff, Jesus went to the real deal. He went back to heaven. 
And he offered an eternal sacrifice for us. So Jesus made his sacrifice as the better sacrifice. He made it in a better temple, in a better sanctuary. It says that he, in verse 25 that he's a better priest. This high priest was just a person. And all he could do was offer an animal sacrifice and hope that it would cover the sins of his country. But Jesus didn't offer an animal sacrifice, did he? He offered himself. He offered his blood. He didn't just bring a sacrifice. He became the sacrifice, so he's a better sacrifice. And then in verse 26, and this is the one that you see this repeated in this passage, Jesus is a better sacrifice because he died once for all. Look in verse 26. It says, he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages. In verse 28, it says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. So when Jesus died on the cross being the perfect sacrifice and his blood was shed, he rose from the dead, he went back to heaven to the real temple, to the real sanctuary, the blood that he brought with him, Jesus' blood, Jesus was the better sacrifice because you don't have to go back with Jesus. You don't have to go back year after year and every sin I may have ever committed, they called them the, um, the, 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 the sins of omission. They called them the sins that they, you know, they, 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 they sent this high priest in to make sacrifice for sins that maybe they did but they forgot about and they, they want to make sure they're covered. And they sent it back year after year, year after year. They said, hey, Jesus died once and Jesus died once and he covered the sins of any, anybody who had, has ever lived before and anybody who would ever live after. Jesus died for any sin that you've committed previous in your life. Jesus died for any sin you will ever commit for the rest of your life. He died for the sins that you'll commit today. You only have to be saved once because Jesus died once and he covered your sin and because he covered your sin, you can live forever with him. That's the situation of this passage. You kind of follow me? It's talking about Jesus is a better sacrifice. But, I'm gonna keep using this word, but nestled in this big truth is this like secondary truth that is so important for us. And it says it right here in verse 27. What we're gonna do, we're gonna have like an old-fashioned Bible study and we're gonna break this verse down and learn some really important things in verse 27. It says, and I'm just gonna read it one more time. It says, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. So we learn kind of three things in verse 27, kind of through 28. And the first is, Death is certain. Death is certain. Um, it says here that people are destined to die once, and that word destined, it comes from a Greek word, apokame, which kind of sounds like apocalypse, right? And that just has to do with something in the future. This word apokamai, what it, what it means, what it kind of carries the idea is, is like having an appointment scheduled. You know those days when you have a, a, like a dentist appointment at like, one o'clock in the afternoon and you're like, I don't like going to the dentist, but I do like the fact that I get out of school early and I'll be done with the dentist in 30 minutes and I just get to go home and chill. You know, you have an appointment and, you know, sometimes we forget appointments, um, but an appointment is an appointment. None of you forgot that you had an appointment with spring break last week. None of you are going to forget that you have an appointment with getting out of school, which they just moved it back, boo, but, you know, you have an appointment with getting out of school at some date in the future, whatever date they decide. You have an appointment with those things. What this says is that we, every person, it says people, who here's a person, right? Um, As a fellow person, I can understand. Um, It says people, or in some translations, it'll say men, or it means mankind, 
are destined to die once. As much as we really don't like, as much as we hate to think about this fact, everybody sitting in this room tonight has an appointment with death. I promise this, this will not end on a morbid tone, I promise. But every person in this room, unless Christ comes again in our lifetime, every person in this room will have a funeral. Really sad to think about, isn't it? And the Bible talks about how, just as, as you know, we like to think that we have this long life ahead of us, but um, when the Bible talks about our life, it compares us to things that are not very long. In James 4.14... Where's Jackson? Where my James guy at? Yeah. <laughs> James 4.14, it compares our life to a mist. You know how like on a cold morning when you breathe and you see the, you, you see the mist, you know, the, like, like, like the, the, it looks like smoke with the steam coming off your breath? As quickly as that steam disappears in comparison to everything else, that's how quick our life is. In Psalm 78.39, it's compared to the wind. It comes and goes pretty quick. First Chronicles 29.15, it's compared to a shadow. And poor old Job, you know, he was kind of a pessimist. This is what he said in uh, Job 14.1 about life. <laughs> he says, it's few of days and full of trouble. Uh, one thing, I never thought I'd say this, you know, I never thought I'd be one of those old guys that say this, but the older you get, <laughs> the, the more you realize how fast life goes. Uh, you know, I remember being like 16 years, or 15 years old, and it seemed like that year between having a permit and having a license was an eternity. And now, like, I blink and it's another year, and I blink and it's another year. And one of the things, the common thing, you know, I, I've got to visit some really kind of cool old people in the hospital. I do it all the time. It's part of, part of what I do. And one of the things that they all say, I mean, these are people who are 80, 90 years old. Most of them don't say, man, this life's taking forever. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that. They all say, it just seems like yesterday I was a teenager. It just seems like yesterday I was a kid, and boom, I'm 90 years old. Life is fast. Death is certain. And why do we have death? Well, it's because of sin. Um, Romans chapter 5 talks about that. It says that because sin entered the world, death entered the world because of sin. Just as we're all sinners, we all have an appointment with death. But remember, remember, this passage is nestled. I'm, we need to keep a word. We need like a game or something. Like, you know, yeah, every, every time Matt says nestled, like you eat a thing of popcorn or something. Um, that's the Christian way to do it. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, here's what to remember. Even though death is certain, this is nestled in this passage that talks about Christ's victory. So even though death is certain, death isn't final. We talked about how people are destined to die once. Now, if you're an atheist, you put a period there. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's where the sentence ends. People are destined to die once. Boom. See you guys next week. But because of Jesus, there's not a period there, but there's a comma. I like commas. I'm a big fan of the Oxford comma. And here it is. People are destined to die once. So just as death is certain, death is not final. Death isn't final. I think that's the next slide. 
unless I forgot it. I may have forgot. Yeah. Oh, I don't have that slide. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, I don't have that slide, but death is not final, and you've kind of got a preview of the, of the next slide there. But it says people are destined to die once, then it says, and after that, to face judgment. Those words after that mean everything. It means that there is something after death. In Greek, that word is metahudo, which doesn't sound real interesting to you, but it's very similar to the phrase that's used in Revelation when John is describing all the things that happen in chronological order, and he's saying, yeah, I saw you, and then I saw a great white throne, and after that, I saw this, and after that, I saw this, and after that, I saw this. It's meant to denote chronology, or it's meant to say this is going to happen, then this is going to happen in order of things. So people will die. Everybody is destined to die. You have an appointment with death, but after death, there is something after death, there is something. Just as sure as one day you'll have a funeral, one day your soul will live on after the funeral. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God put eternity into the hearts of people. We were made in God's image. He gave us an eternal soul. And even though our bodies that are corrupted by sin will die, our eternal soul will live on. It's because of Jesus, right? Because this is nestled in this passage where Jesus beat death. And because of that, after people die, their soul will live on. That's an easy point. We, we go through that one pretty quick. But here, here's the one that causes us um, some concern. After that, it says, people are destined to die once and after that, to face judgment. This is one of my favorite Christian memes because you got all these, it's not just girls that go around saying this, but you know, only God can judge me. <laughs> that should scare you, right? <laughs> I'd much rather have some of you judge, yeah, if I'm not living right, you know, yeah, I'd much rather offend you than offend God. Yeah, you ever think about yeah, kind of how backwards that thought is, right? Um, after death, you meet God. After that, the judgment. The Bible talks about two different judgments that happen in eternity. And those two different judgments, this is, this is important, which of those two judgments you appear at is based upon what you decide about Jesus. The Bible says that those who believe in Jesus will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Or will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the next fill in the blank if you're filling in the blanks. Yeah, will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. We learn about that in a few passages. We learn about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We learn about that in um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. That we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and when believers appear before... This, this happens at the end, at, at the end of, our, of our age here as a church. When, when, when Jesus comes back, those who are dead in Christ will rise. Those who are here on earth will rise. We will be together in heaven with God forever. And according to Scripture, it really is, in, in Revelation and some other passages, it seems as though one of the first things that's going to happen when we are raptured and get to heaven is that we will be, at, we will be seated at the judgment seat of Christ. And from you know, 1 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we learn that God will reward us based on our service for him, and he will actually rebuke us where we fall short. 
This is not a judgment that determines whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. You don't go to heaven or hell based upon what you've done. You go to heaven based on the better sacrifice of Jesus. This has to do with our service to God, and there are some, there are some rewards that are given to people who serve God well. Um, they're called crowns, but it's not like the, I'm a king, here's a crown, big brass gold crown. It's not like that kind of crown. Um, that, that kind of crown in the Bible, it's used the Greek word um, diadem, which has to do with a royal crown. When it talks about the crowns that believers will receive at the judgment seat of Christ, it's the Greek word stephanos, which is the idea of like the Greco-Roman, they had those like the first Olympics, you know, like in the, yeah, and, and, and they, they competed naked. Um, but they, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just had to get that in there. But, you know, when they would compete in the games, if they would win, they would get what was called a victor's crown. And it was like a wreath. It was like a wreath crown that, that, that they would be given. It was like a reward. And that's, that's the word that's used to describe the rewards that we'll give. And, and there are five crowns. This is in the notes on the app. I'm just going to kind of breeze through them real quick because we've talked about this before. There are five crowns that Christians will be given uh, based upon their service to God. Um, the imperishable crown will be given to, uh, for faithful endurance and spiritual self-discipline. Learn about that in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Um, the crown of rejoicing will be given to believers for evangelism and discipleship, so for sharing your faith and discipling people. Um, that's 2 Thessalonians 2.19. There's a crown of righteousness that's given um, to, for people who look forward to God's appearing and are always watching for Christ to come back. That's in 2 Timothy 4.8. There's a crown of life given to people who endure spiritual hardships and trials. That's James uh, 1.12 and also in Revelation 2.10. And then there's a crown of glory that's given um, to pastors and leaders who have shepherded, cared for the people of God in churches, and that's in uh, 1 Peter 5, 4. Um, so we all have the ability to earn these things. We think, what, what, what's the point of that? Like, why do we want to, <laughs> you know, why do I want like a reef on my head? Like, like, what's the point? Well, here's the point. When you see Jesus for the first time, it's going to be crazy. When you see Jesus for the first time, you're going to look into the eyes of the one who saved you. And for some of you that are kind of like, like about, about your faith right now, when you see Jesus face to face, it's not going to be no more, man. It's going to be, you're going to be falling at your feet. You're going to be worshiping him. You're going to be so grateful and thankful and full of worship to him that you're going to want to give him something for your worship. And for, for, for those who have been faithful to God, you will have these crowns to where you can lay, and it talks about this in Revelation, where you can lay them at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, this is my life that I have lived for you. So those who believe in Jesus, who have put their faith in Jesus, who have asked them to save them, those who are saved, they appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The second judgment in the Bible that we learn about is the great white throne judgment. Sounds scary, doesn't it? And we learn about that one in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Go ahead and turn there if you can. It's Revelation chapter 20. It's literally the, go to the back of your Bible and turn back one chapter. Or two chapters, two chapters, excuse me. Revelation chapter 20. Go to the back of your Bible and turn back two chapters. Look at Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Jesus has already judged the believers. They have returned with him to the earth. He sets up his kingdom um, at the end of his millennial reign on his kingdom. He throws Satan and all his followers into hell, the bottomless pit, and then he resurrects anyone who's ever lived. And they stand before him. Verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. What we learn later in this passage is these books have contained every minute of every person's life. Whether we, this is something to think about, whether or not we realize that we're writing our autobiography. You know what an autobiography is, right? It's a, it's a self-written book about yourself, like presidents usually do that, right? Um, you're writing an autobiography. There's the autobiography of Matt McClay. There's the autobiography of Trevor Lingenfelter. <laughs> autobiography of Dylan Starcher. That would be a fun one to read. <laughs> um, uh, we're all writing an autobiography. And then another book was opened. I can just see like all these stacks of books and then there's this one book that's bigger than the others. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So we're judged based upon our autobiographies. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the autobiography is important. But there's one book that matters <laughs> infinitely more than any other book, and it's the book of life. It's the book that contains the names of those who have put their faith in Christ. According to this passage and several other passages in the Bible, those who do not believe in Jesus and try to save themselves based upon their own autobiography, they come up short. They're thrown into the lake of fire, which is commonly known as hell. Not a place I would like to be. Once again, these are going to be in the notes on the app too. Just to tell you a little bit about hell. You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, I had one guy look at me like right in the face and say, I, I don't have a problem with going to hell. I'm going to go down to hell. I'm going to smoke a couple doobies with Satan. And that's funny, except for the fact that it's not. Because this is what the reality of hell is. Isaiah 66, 24 describes it as a place where the worms that eat them will not die. And the fire that burns them will not be quenched. Matthew 18, 8 says it's a place of eternal fire. Those are the words of Jesus. Matthew 25, 46, again, the words of Jesus called a place of eternal punishment. Jude 13 calls it the place of the blackest darkness. You ain't gonna be smoking no doobies with anybody because you won't be able to see anybody. A place of no rest, day or night. Revelation 9 or 14 9 through 10. Then in Revelation 20, 10, which we were reading, talks about a place where it's, there's torment day and night forever. Jesus also described it as a place where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Why? Am I, am I, <laughs> Matt, you sound like the guy at Marshall that holds the sign. I don't mean to be that way. I don't mean to be that way. But I also think that this is something that we need to know. I was talking to my tag group we were talking about, wouldn't it be maybe the cruelest thing ever to know about a place like this and to know how people could avoid going to a place like this and not tell them? It's appointed unto man, appointed unto people, wants to die. 
Everybody has an appointment with death. But death isn't over. Death isn't final. After death is the judgment. Believers will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ based upon their works. And they, those who have lived for Jesus will be able to, they will have things to give him in worship. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus, those who are not saved, will be cast into an eternal devil's hell that will last forever. And there will be no relenting. That's serious stuff. But remember, this is nestled. There's a, take your second shot of popcorn. Um, this is nestled in a passage that reminds us that Jesus died once for all. There is no person who has to go to hell. Jesus offers his forgiveness and literally the blood that he shed to purify anyone who believes in him, no matter what sin they've committed. So that's the good news. That's why the funeral isn't final. So what do we do with this? I've got three C words for you. And I believe each of us fall into one of these three categories in which we can act on this. And the first is be comforted. For those of you that you've, just, you've been walking through the loss of somebody that you loved very dearly, <laughs> know that while their body is in the ground, <laughs> they're not in the ground. Their soul is with Jesus. They got to see the one who died for them. They got to see the nail prints in his hand. They got to see the scar from the spear in his side. They got to have him look them in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And one day, we're talking about this next week, resurrection. One day, you and them will meet in the sky. Those loved ones that we have that believed in Jesus. So be comforted. I know you sat through that funeral, and it felt final, but the funeral isn't final. The second thing is we should be compelled. Compelled means, <laughs> compelled is a very fancy word for swift kick in the pants, okay? Um, we should be compelled. Those of us who are, who are Christians and we want to live for God, we should be compelled because first, we are writing a resume, and one day, we will stand before Jesus, and I want to have something to give him for the one who gave me everything. We're going to stand before Jesus. The flip side of that, too, is there are people I know that unless they put their faith in Jesus, they will be spending an eternity in hell. And that gives me some urgency. That gives me some seriousness to the way that I live my life and the way that I share the gospel with those people. There are people that you brush by in the hallway every day that unless you tell them about Jesus, they're lost. So we should be compelled that these years aren't throwaway years. <laughs> Your teenage years are not throwaway years that you can just make up for later. You can make a difference right here and right now. And then the final thing, some of you should be concerned because you've never come to a decision point. You've never come to a place where you realize that you're not going to make it to heaven based upon your life and that you need Jesus. As somebody that I look up to says, he says it this way, I think it sounds really good. You don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell. But you can't stay here. Everybody has an appointment with death. So the question I want to leave you with is, after you die, what's your after that? Which judgment will you be at? Um, 
Everybody bow your head, close your eyes. We're going to pray, get out of here. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you, never, you don't know for sure that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. As we pray, I just want to invite you to pray a simple prayer to God. Asking him to save you. Asking him to apply the blood of Jesus on your behalf. Confessing your sin. Trusting him as your savior. However you, however you put that into words, quietly in your heart, just do it right now as we pray. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of him the funeral isn't final. Thank you that we have life, everlasting life, and it has already begun for people that are saved, for people that have believed in Jesus. Um, God, I pray for people who are mourning the loss of a loved one, that they will be comforted in knowing that. I pray for those of us who sometimes lack motivation to live for you, that this will be a reality check for us. Father, I pray for people here who they don't know where they're going to go after they die, that you'll give them certainty tonight. They'll put their faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.